0: showdown is very nearly upon us and we are still none the wiser welcome to episode 27 of bike life yes you are listening to episode 27 of bike life here on motorsport 101 as we look back on the cadwell park british superbike round that took place this past weekend in lincolnshire where no showdown spots were decided three races remain before the top six are cut off for the championship battle at the end of the season yet we still do not know who any of those six riders are going to be it just tells you how competitive this year's british superbike championship has been we will talk about all nine riders who have a genuine shot of making the showdown with one run to go and discuss who we think will actually secure those six spots by the end of silverstone Um, We'll look back at the two races that did take place at Cadwell Park as Leon Haslam returned to winning ways and James Ellison returned to winning ways, even if it may well be a little too late for him. Uh, We'll also look back at the Lausitz Ring World Superbike Round, a circuit that not many people are going to be sad to see the back of, much less Tom Sykes, um, as Jonathan Ray took another step towards the world title, even if he had to follow Chaz Davies home in both races uh, we'll also look at two riders who have secured their spot on the motor gp grid for next year and look ahead to this weekend's british grand prix at silverstone and ask if the marquez vinales battle we've been waiting for all season is finally going to be upon us this weekend it's a warm welcome for episode 27 of bike live to andre harrison welcome dre Hello, everybody.
1: I've come back a year older and um, actually, made, actually made that too, given that we had to go through all Superbikes this weekend. But uh, yes, here we are.
0: Yes, uh, yeah. Dre, uh, happy birthday to Dre for last week. From his, uh, Thank you very much, sir. From, uh, and uh, also, uh, another week of, uh, of celebrations this week, because um, you will have already noticed that we've flipped the order of our, our usual uh, two shows here on Motorsport 101, um, which is Partly due to the order and the we recorded these, given that I've, uh, I've, I'm going to be masquerading as an actual journalist at Silverstone this weekend. So we've recorded this on the Monday. <laughs> um, so we recorded this bike live at the start of the week, which means that this has gone up first. Which means that it gives us another opportunity, Dre, to uh, tell the listeners all about what they have to come. And the Centennial Cup of Motorsport 101, which is still to come this week.
1: Indeed, it will be this weekend, the 100th episode of Motorsport 101 and the Centennial Cup. By the time this goes out, you'd have already seen the rule book, and it's it, again, I, I think it's going to produce some great radio. It's an auction draft format, there'll be five of us on, on the show, including the return of R.J. O'Connell, which has been much anticipated in the land of Tennessee. Hmm. Um, so. Again, I can't wait to see how it all, sh- how it all shakes out, how tactically we're going to play this, and if it's going to be as hipster as the last time, because God damn it, if Matt picks Roman Dumas again, I'm going to stab him repeatedly in the neck. Um, but um, episode 100 of Motorsport 101 coming
0: up later this week, the Centennial Cup. Can't wait. Yeah, side note for when we're recording this as well, I- I'm currently on my TV ahead of me, I have a SummerSlam from uh, around 12 hours prior to this. Yes, um, with uh, with uh, just as we spoke there, the uh, the visual of Braun Strowman throwing a chair at Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. If anything, if anything was a kind of uh, visual description for what the Centennial Cup may well be like. Um, <laughs> yes, that, that was it. Um, so, um, so yeah. Um, The Motorsport 101 Centennial Cup As part of our 100th episode celebrations Later this week Here on Motorsport 101 Most likely Friday But do keep an eye on our social media channels For the uh, full confirmation uh, Of when you can hear it um, which includes Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 On Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 And our website is motorsport101.net Our YouTube channel is forward slash motorsport101 And if you want to hear the Centennial Cup before everybody else Then back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 Let's head to the mountain then in Cadwell Park And uh, begin our roundup of the weekend that just transpired Um, In Superbikes, World Superbikes to come later on. Um, But first, let's talk BSB. And the race for the showdown, which, if anything, Dre, didn't really become any clearer at Cadwell Park last weekend. Um, Although, the riders that we expect to make the showdown at the moment, certainly the two that have looked as if they're locked to the showdown all season, Leon Haslam and Shaky Byrne, um, both in very, very good positions after this weekend. And Leon Haslam, um, a win and a DNF for him. But if anything... Should we be discounting that DNF and really looking at that race victory, which came just in the nick of time for Haslam, if he was going to discover some form again for the showdown, this was a timely victory.
1: Yes, exactly. And um, like, like, In the grand scheme of things, okay, yeah, there was an unfortunate DNF in there. But given that, you know, a lot of guys had, you know, dodgy weekends, so to speak, 25 out of 50 actually isn't all that bad for Haslam. And I think it's more symbolic than anything else for Haslam this weekend because that was a critical victory in terms of timing, the momentum going into the showdown and also like Kawasaki was on something like a nine race dry spell without a victory. His first
0: victory since May the 1st at Alton Park.
1: Yeah, so again, nearly four months since the last time Leon Haslam won a Grand Prix in, in BSB, so... Yeah, a, a, a win that could not have come at a better time, and a win that is, I, I would say has pretty much sealed this this place in the showdown. So, a, a, a critical win in the grand scheme of things, and a very necessary one. So, yeah, again, I think it's more symbolic than the points itself, but an important, very necessary win for Leon Haslam going forward.
0: Yeah, it was, and it was, it was interesting the way he won it as well, because as, as you say, they've they've not won for a while. J D. Spivak Kawasaki, nor have they really looked like winning. Uh, I mean, it's not like they've been knocking on the door at, at Knockhill and Snetterton and Brands and Truxton. They weren't really in the shake-up for victories. We, they, were, they were watching the likes of Ducati and Yamaha and the other Kawasaki team of um, RAF regular reserves with Jay Dixon fight for victories while they were on the outside looking in. Um, but Haslam, you kind of got the sense how much he wanted that one, Drain Race 1, given that he spent a lot of that race with a queue of riders climbing all over the back of him. But Haslam kind of recognised that... Given how narrow and how tight and how bumpy and how twisty it is, Cadwell Park is a bitch to overtake on, um, and Hasler yeah. proved it. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah, it's one of those things where Cadwell Park is very twisty. It's very tight, it's very narrow as well. So it is, it is a very very difficult track to effectively pass around. You're not going to be. You're not going to have a ton of opportunities to make this work, and he did so. In, in impressive fashion, so um, yeah. Again, Haslam had to had to win this a mountain pardon, of pressure from the from the, from the from the other riders out there, uh, like Shaky, like O'Halloran, who was who was in the mix of the wins pretty much all the way through. So yeah, again, I got a few that. It's a very very um, high pressure, intense race, to come out on top in. So again, all all good for the confidence of, of the there
0: beef going forward. <laughs> yeah, hugely needed victory uh, for Leon Haslam, who, uh, as we said, had gone from the uh, Bank Holiday Monday round at the beginning of May since winning a race in the British Superbike Championship and hadn't really looked like winning since then. Took the victory ahead of Jake Dixon in that first race. um Dixon on the uh, RAF Reserves, uh, regular reserves Kawasaki um in second place. Shaky Bird taking third in that one. Um, to um, secure or cement his spot in the showdown and add a crucial podium point um, to his tally. Um, Into race two, and shaky burn looked very, very good for a victory in that one as he led the race, but he hit mechanical problems. Um, Jake Dixon, another rider that we'll come on to in a moment, he hit problems where he crashed out of the lead, which opened the door for ugly one of the forgotten men of British Superbikes, James Ellison, to step in um, and take a victory. Ellison, who has looked like winning a race, but has somehow conspired to find ways not to win it for much of this season. Um, finally, Dre, getting over that hurdle and getting a victory on the board, despite a little bit of pressure from some unlikely challenges in the form of Lee Jackson and Pete Aikman on the Smiths BMWs. Ellison finally getting that W. About time, James. What well, nice of
1: you to join us this season? Probably about two weekends too late, but hey, better late than never. Um, yeah, I g- g- completely agree. I mean, uh, Edison's been a bit of a forgotten man, you say, because his form's been so inconsistent all throughout the year, and that's what's pro a showdown space. I mean, he still has a, an outside chance mathematically, but it, he would need a lot of shit to fall his way for Edison to... to uh, to get in there. But uh, again, like, hey, there's no bad time to win a race ever. So, uh, again, like, I'm very, very glad that Ellison has gotten a win. Again, Yeah, he struggled on that McCam's Yamaha. Not, a lot of it has not been his fault either where he's had to deal with you know, um, crews not getting the repairs right and just the mechanical problems on the Yamaha um, are one. And just, just generally a, a, a cornucopia of things that have gone wrong for Edison this season. But uh, nice to have something for him go right this season. And hey, who knows? That paperweight might look very nice on the mantelpiece.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, if anything, it kind, of, it kind of piles on the agony, doesn't it, for Edison that yeah. he got this way? It just kind of shows what he could have done if he'd uh, had a few yeah. more of these earlier in the season. He'd be a genuine showdown contender and title contender. Um, going into the uh, stages of this season um, because in terms of podium credits, he's up on 11 points, um, which is more than two of the riders that currently sit in that top six um, as it stands at the moment. So when when that bike has been um, on two wheels at the end of a race, it's usually right up the front um, for Ellison. Um, So, um, yeah, as you say, he's just on the fringes. He does have the narrowest and slimmest of chances. He trails 6th place Luke Mossy by 42 points, with 75 still on the table at Silverstone in a week's time. So, in theory, he could squeak in, but he's going to need a lot of circumstances to fall his way, and probably a minimum two wins. I would
1: say, like, if he's not leaving that weekend with 60 points, forget about it. Um, and I, th- I think, again, he even needs a lot of stuff to happen, a lot. Most likely, the best chance he's got is if Luke Mossy doesn't take part at Silverstone, which, given it's three weeks away, he probably has a a decent chance of of, of coming back for that weekend and doing, you know, a, a, a mediocre weekend. Actually, no. To be fair, Mossy probably needs a pretty good weekend, given that Dixon is only five points behind him now, and Eden is only eight points behind him, and they are right on the cusp of getting in there as well. And Brooks isn't a million isn't a million miles in in, in the way either. He's he's not safe either. No. So yeah, like a lot of stuff has to happen. It's not unthinkable. Ellison leaves Silverstone with that many points, given that again the Ami Amar- is a fast bike silverstone is a bit of a um a red herring weekend where it's it's very easy to tag along and it's 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 easy to follow another bike around so who knows at at this point but i I think he needs a lot of stuff to happen to a lot of guys that that run well normally for him to get in there but again i don't think it's unthinkable
0: no not at all um one of the riders we should mention actually We, we didn't actually include in this running order and it's um it's remiss of me not to mention it um He's not a showdown contender, but we have to give a shout out to Lee Jackson um, for what he did in, in race two. Uh, it was interesting in race two; it was almost a sort of a glimpse of the uh, the past, the present, and the future of British superbikes, where we had the likes of Shaky Byrne, who's uh, in uh, in his ripe old forties. Um, we had Leon Haslam up there. We had Ellison, of course, who's got Grand Prix history, um, winning the race eventually. And yet we had the two 21-year-olds of Jake Dixon and Lee Jackson going toe to toe with him at the front. And on another day. We could easily have been sat here talking about a maiden win for Lee Jackson. He was all over the back of James Ellison in that race and ended up only coming up short by a couple of tenths of a second in the end. Indeed, only seven tenths between him and Ellison separating
1: Lee Jackson from his first BSB victory. And um, yeah, again, Jackson set, the set a new lap record as well on the set on, uh, in race two and in, in the attempts to try and get past Ellison. And he wasn't quite able. Uh, to bring it home in the end but uh, a phenomenal job from Lee Jackson all weekend seemingly just out of nowhere that uh, he finishes with a sixth place in a second this weekend and then we've talked when it comes to Smith we've talked mostly about Peter Hickman his teammate this season for being so bulletproof of consistency but this is just the weekend that Lee Jackson came alive and uh Yeah, a phenomenal job all all weekend long from Jackson, and great to see him in there mixing it up with the very best in BSB.
0: Yeah, because he was sixth in race one as well, Jackson, and he was in that leading group. He was only a 1.2 off the win um, in race one, as uh, that train I mentioned that was following Leon Haslam home. Um, Lee Jackson was part of that um, in race one. He was, in fact, right at the tail of it uh, in sixth position. And, yeah, his uh, his best weekend so far uh, in British Superbikes, um, and as I mentioned, he is still a very, very young rider. Um, certainly in terms of some of the riders he's up against who are old enough to be his dad in that class. Um, so a sixth and a second for him. Um, although uh, if I was being particularly mischievous, I could mention that he did cost his teammate two podium points by beating him to second in race two. Um, uh, but, uh, but, I wouldn't, okay. I, but I wouldn't dare be that mischievous. Um, going on to the riders then that are in the showdown, and um, let's start actually with Hickman, um, who at his home round headed into it as arguably the four man after a brilliant weekend uh, last time out um at Thruxton where he cost took a victory um and two top four results for him which did earn him the rather beautiful uh, king of the mountain trophy um yes. which was awarded to the rider who scored the most points across the weekend Hickman um was that rider on this occasion um by scoring a grand total of 29 points um from his two races um so so congratulations to him um And he's probably secured himself a spot now, hasn't he, Dre, in this showdown? He's uh, on 193 points. He's only 26 points in real time off the lead. So even if there were no showdown, he's not too much out of the championship at all. Um, But even with the showdown as it is, he currently enjoys a comfortable enough lead. Would you say 37 points he has over Jake Dixon in seventh? And uh, with the level of consistency that Hickman has shown, he's still scored points in every single race. You can't see Hickman hemorrhaging 37 points at Silverstone, can you?
1: I doubt it, because because the, the the main the main moniker of, of Peter Hickman all season long has been his bulletproof consistency. He has been excellent in that department all year long. He's not really put a foot wrong anywhere, and this was another classic weekend for that for Hickman, where again scored more points than anybody else this weekend for various reasons. But hey, you can only beat who they put in front of you, and Hickman again took advantage of other people's misfortune and scored an, another good chunk of points more than anybody else, and. Given he's got full, he's got 37 on Jake Dixon, he's probably in. Again, I would put more confidence in Hickman being in anyway, given his level of consistency all season long. So, yeah, um, the way the way it's going right now,
0: um, yeah, I think Hickman's in. Yeah, and he, he was looking he was looking good in race one to be fair with Hickman until he was rather unfortunately caught up in um shaky Burns' incident where Byrne very nearly lost the front um going into Mansfield, somehow <laughs> saved it on his knee and ended up swerving across the track to try and rescue his bike and stay aboard, um, which kind of held Hickman up, forced Hickman onto the grass and dropped him down the field. He still recovered to fourth in that first race, um, but who knows where he might have been um, had he not suffered that delay early on. As mentioned, it's Hickman's home round of the championship, and he has won there before uh, in British Superbikes. He was competitive uh, in both races. He's third in the championship at the moment. Um, Fourth at the moment in the points is Jason O'Halloran, who had another O'Halloran kind of weekend, really. Um, if, you look at, if you look at his season so far, it is so consistent. He, like Hickman, has scored points in every single race, all of which have been 10th or higher. Um, and you know, those, those two 10ths came at the opening round at Donington where Honda were only just figuring out their new bike uh, for the new season. Since then, he's gone 7th, 5th, 4th, 3rd, 4th, 7th, 3rd, 3rd, 7th, 7th, 6th, 5th, 5th, 4th. Which, even though he's going to own the end of the show now at the moment with three podium points... Um, Halloran looks though as if he is going to enter the showdown this year he only has, as it is at the moment a 22 point lead over Jake Dixon so you wouldn't exactly say with three races to go that Halloran is safe but again Dre, he's another guy that if he keeps up his current level of consistency he should have enough
1: Is it going to get to the crazy sort of point where you're going to need 200 points to get in I think yeah. it's going to take something like 200 and we thought it was going to be 171 by 160, 170 to get in, it's in probably... In years, it has been. Yeah, the way it's been this year and how close it's been, you're probably going to need 200 to get in the way it's going right now. And as you say, O'Halloran, like, again, you, you have an extra level of confidence of O'Halloran because, he, again, he has been so consistent this year and he's, he's, he's finished every single race in the top 10. So you haven't really got a reason to think otherwise on this. And... Yeah, the way he's going, he probably will get in unless one of the four guys underneath him in contention has a bonkers weekend, which the, the crazy thing is, is that that's pretty possible from the four guys yeah, behind.
0: Dixon has already had one of those this year. Dixon's uh, had a knock hill. Iden hasn't won yet, but he's he's threatened to um, yeah. at a few oh. rounds this season. Um, Ellison would need the ultimate bonkers weekend to get in. And Luke Mossi's already doubled up at Brands Indy earlier this year. Um, and was leading yep. leading the championship outright before he had his injury um, earlier in the year, um, which ruled him out at Thruxton. So, yeah, Luke Mossy... Luke Mossy's the interesting one, and we'll come on to him in a moment. But, yeah, there are riders who have race-winning performances in them. I mean, hey, for heaven's sake, there have been seven different winners this year, um, yep. as it is in, in the British Superbike <laughs> Championship, and two of those, um, or two of the men in the showdown, aren't among them. Um, so... So, yeah, it's it's incredible the way this season has panned out um, and how competitive it's been. Uh, O'Halloran fourth then, 178 points for him after a fifth and a fourth at Cadwell Park. He has a 22-point cushion over Jake Dixon in seventh um, going into the showdown. Josh Brooks, though, is slightly more precarious. He only has 11 points um, of an advantage going into uh, Silverstone in three weeks' time. And this was perhaps the biggest surprise and shock trait of the Cadwell Park weekend, because we, uh, we spoke about it last week, kind of tongue-in-cheek, um, given his comments towards Alicia Spargo and um, the bravery of, of Josh Brooks. But in all seriousness, in British Superbikes, if there is one rider that you associate immediately with Cadwell Park, it would probably be Josh Brooks, and he was virtually anonymous.
1: Very peculiar weekend for Josh Brooks, as you say. He's he's won here. He's dominated here on previous occasions, and he's he's very much associated with 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 the mountain, with the jump, and the size of his cojones. But um, yeah, this this was a very puzzling weekend for Brooks. Just the Anvil tag team in general just didn't really have anything this weekend. And uh, again, qualified down the order. Didn't really have anything in race trim either, and you know limped to a, a couple of you know low scoring points as a twelfth and seventh, which is not which has not really been a good fit for Brooks given his recent run of form, given that Yamaha we, we were thinking Yamaha might have found something a little bit more in this season and in race two. It was, his, it was his adversary on the Yamaha, James Ellison, that had the pace on the McCams the Yamaha team, and Brooks didn't really have anything
2: mm. this
1: um, that, that weekend. Which I thought was very peculiar, right? So um, to have, again, normally the guy that's been the king of the mountain on previous occasions be, be so mediocre this weekend. Um, he said it himself on Twitter. said, uh, despite our best efforts, we, we didn't find the results this weekend. But here's a cool picture, basically, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, that's all Josh Brooks had, really, just, uh, just just, not being able to really explain just a, a, a mediocre run of form this year at um, Cadwell. So, yeah, very peculiar.
0: Yeah, yeah, he said at the start of uh, the Anvil High press release that they've, their team had had no luck uh, the weekend. But um, he, he basically said that through Friday practice, they couldn't find the setup that they were after on that bike. And it, it almost reminds me of the McCams team back at Thruxton where they were just uncompetitive for, for almost an unexplainable reason right throughout the weekend. That nudge bike, for some reason, just didn't work at all through that weekend. And we didn't see James Ellison all weekend um, at Truxton. We didn't really see Brooks at Cadwell either. Um, yeah. He said that in pre-practice it was false impressions um, because all weekend they'd been slightly off the pace in both races, which should be difficult. If I knew exactly what the problem with the bike was, we would have fixed it. We went through all the different setup changes we could imagine, and it didn't find the result that we were looking for. So they, they tried everything. They were throwing setup changes left, right, and center at that bike, but nothing would make that thing work. Um, around Cadwell Park. And like I say, it is bizarre because a Yamaha won race too um, in the form of James Ellison. So it's bizarre the way these these performance swings seem to be happening with that Yamaha R1, depending on the team and the circuit. Right, um, right. Because Brooks just didn't seem to, to make it stick at uh, Cadwell Park. Only picked up 13 points across the two races and is now in a precarious position. Not half as precarious, though, as Luke Mossy, who um, there's very little we could say about his weekend, right? Obviously, because he wasn't there. Um, at Cadwell Park, but we did say this time last week that Luke Mossy, when he returns at Silverstone, his position is going to be precarious, and we've been proved right.
1: Yes, um, and yeah, again, especially given that a lot of guys had 20, had 20 to 25 points to take into Mossy's advantage, and again, Mossy is now right on the brigand. Worst case scenario, Dixon had a pretty good weekend as well, and he's been the guy that's you know, a little bit on the inconsistency side. But again, if if Dixon's on it, then he is absolutely on it, and he is right up there um, scoring good points. And now Mossy's going to have to go to Silverstone knowing he's, he's got to outperform Dixon and in um, realistically, maybe Brooks as well, to really get in here. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a high-pressure weekend. For Mossy, because his his spot is arguably the most precarious out there, and there are guys beneath him who, again, on their days, are capable of podiums and are capable of very strong finishes.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a high-pressure situation because we're talking about a guy here who, like I say, before he got injured earlier in the year, he looked like it looked like he, Byrne and Haslam, were the three premier riders in the class who were probably going to. De- you know, determine the championship between the three of them later in the year, as it is now, mossy's not even guaranteed to be in that shake up at all um and yeah the the pressure comes from the fact that he's not got the luxury now of being able to ease his way back in when he returns in three weeks' time. I mean, that that level of time that he's got now before Silverstone should allow him to be fully fit when he returns. Um, he, right. didn't, he didn't really want to risk it at Cadwell Park, particularly at a circuit like Cadwell. If you're not fully fit, you don't want to risk, risk it around there because you're just going to hurt yourself even more um, because you don't really have small accidents around Cadwell, given the nature no. of the circuit. Um, but yeah, the, it's funny because we've spoken in previous years about this showdown format and how it, it allows riders the, the opportunity to recover from an injury um, as Shaky Burton has this season, the injury that ruled him out of round one, the injury that ruled Haslam out of Knockhill, Hill, both have been able to recover from that and um, make sure that it hasn't had a detrimental effect on their season. Um, but unfortunately for Mossy, the timing of his injury has plunged him right into trouble and given him only one round um, to put it right and make sure that he gets himself in that top six. And yeah, he's he's not got the luxury of going to Silverstone and just easing his way in. And you know, even if he's still a bit of pain, he can just you know cruise around, get some points, and then... You know, get himself back into contention at Alton Park two weeks after that, or a week after that, he's going to get straight on the pace at Silverstone and get straight into podium level points to ensure that he sees off the likes of Dixon and Eden, um, which is easier said than done um, for Luke Mossy. He, he is a class rider, so wouldn't put it past him at all, but he is going to go there under a ton of pressure. Um, and as it is, Dre, he's kind of fortunate in the end that he's still in the top six because jake dixon was running in the lead of race two and in real time was heading himself all the way up to fourth in the points um with 25 for the victory as it is a crash just at the foot of the mountain left him with none whatsoever and dixon might well regret that in three races time
1: indeed and again this is some of those it's, it's like Martin marquez in MotoGP. gp it's like how much could he end up regretting not taking the 25 points on offer in argentina um but yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a that was a golden chance for Dixon to really cement himself a spot. And uh now he's in now he's in danger, yeah, he's in a dangerous area now where he now has to do the chasing and he knows that he has to essentially beat Mossy, who's on quote unquote the factory Kawasaki over three races that weekend to get himself in. So it's gonna be all sorts of dodgy um right now. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But uh, Dixon is now going to be doing chasing, which is something he's had to do pretty much all season long anyway. But uh, the, 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 the blessing for him is that Mossy probably won't be 100% that weekend. But he's again, he's now put himself in a high-pressure scenario, where he knows it's going to be a, a quote-unquote showdown with, with the speed-fit Kawasaki man.
0: <laughs> it is. And give credit where credit's due, I think, for us. Here, we've both criticised the showdown in previous years. Um, I think this is one year where it has really, really worked for, for British Superbikes. Although, in fairness, as it is even now, even with no showdown, the top uh, eight riders in the championship are split by 66 points. Um, so it's it's been close anyway. Um, but we're, we're genuinely talking here with the guys in 6th and 7th, Mossy and Dixon. Um, we, we could well see one or both of those two, not make the showdown. Cause of course, we have Christian Nidden just behind them as well in eighth, who we'll talk about in a second. Um, oh. But in Mossy and Dixon's Dre, I think we're genuinely talking about two guys who, if either of them makes the showdown, they'd have a real chance of winning the whole thing because both of them have shown this season that they can win races when they feel like it. And ever since he broke through at Knockhill, Dixon's arguably had the match of anybody in British Because I mean, on podium points alone... Mossy and Dixon have seventeen points apiece, and only Byrne and Haslam boast more than that. Exactly. That's a
1: that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of difference in points right there. And again, the form says it all that Dixon on his day can run with anybody. And he's like he's he's a guy that I think on paper would be a great guy to have in the showdown, given the scenario, given the situation. But as you say, it is so competitive. Some, some a really, really big hitter is not going to take part in this right now, and that's going to be a bummer.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I, this could well be the first time in the Showdown's history that we've we could see a rider come from fifth or sixth to win it. Um, given how many that's... competitive bikes are in there, I mean, in previous years, once we've got into the Showdown, generally we've even with six in there, we've managed to narrow it down immediately to two or three. Um, When the showdown starts, I mean, we've never really gone into a showdown looking at all six and thinking, yeah, I can make a case for all of those actually winning this coming into the the season. But this might be the first year uh, where we can. Um, So the men outside at the moment then in 7th, 8th, ninth, are Dixon, Eden and Ellison. We've already covered Dixon and Ellison. So let's talk Christian Eden, um, who on speaking on Twitter after the weekend wasn't particularly happy with his weekend. Um, which when he got an eighth and a fifth out of it kind of tells you what level he expects to be at because that's not exactly a disastrous weekend all told Um, but again it's another weekend where even if on the face of it it doesn't look that bad when you're chasing the showdown spots and you're still eight points outside not really enough for Ridden yeah like in
1: like that's been the problem with him is like he's he's been good enough for regular top sixes but he's not been good enough for the really really big weekends or he can win a race or two and that's probably what's held in back. The injuries. i think he'd be right in there, probably in a safer spot if he had actually not had the injury. Because yeah, I think it's
0: missed four races.
1: The four races—if he again—if he had averaged around the top six, he'd be he'd be close to the championship lead right about now. And like that's unfortunately again, like the consistency is the main evidence. But the four missed races has really come back to hurt him, and again, he's going to have to go chasing, knowing that. He probably needs 40 to 50 points coming through at Silverstone out of those three races to really make sure he gets in. I think 200 is going to be the magic
0: number here. <laughs> mm, it is. Three races to go then at Silverstone. Um, here's how the championship standings look. Shaky Burn, 219 points. It's a 10-point lead over Haslam. Um, although, if the showdown were to start now, that would drop to five based on podium points. Uh, Shaky Burn 31 to Haslam's 26. Peter Hickman is third overall. 26 off the outright lead. Um, That would become 22 on podium points. He has nine of them. Uh, Jason O'Halloran is fourth overall on 178. Um, This is where it gets interesting. Brooks on 167. Mossy, 161. That is your top six. Dixon then has 156 in seventh. Eden, 153 in eighth. And Ellison, 119 in ninth. Um, So I think, Dre, if we're going to forecast this for Silverstone... Are we going to, are we agreed here that the top three are safe? Burn, Haslam, Hickman? Agreed. Uh, One, two, three. So we're now talking six riders for three spots. O'Halloran, Brooks, Mossy, Dixon, Eden, Ellison. Uh, Which three do you see getting in? O'Halloran. Mossy. Eden. Yeah, I was I was gonna go. Oh, Halloran, Mossy, Dixon. I I, I could I could see okay. Dixon, which means we'll both see Josh Brooks dropping out of there. Um, yeah, comes Silverstone, um, which would be a huge shock um, for British two so I just think Dixon's just got that. I mean, I still I still look at that second race and think, if Jake Dixon had crashed out of there, we'd be talking about him in the same terms we're talking about Hickman right now as a as a almost a certainty to make it. That's just how these these races are swinging at the moment. And yeah, Jake Dixon's form since knockhill has has told me that. You know, he's a genuine front-running guy now in British Superbikes. Um, and you know he'll be looking ahead. He'll be desperate looking ahead to those rounds at Alton Park, Assen and Brands. And just praying that he makes it. Because he's already shown earlier in this season, Jake Dixon, that he can be competitive at these rounds. So it's going to be so fascinating to see how it plays out. Silverstone on the 8th, 9th and 10th of September where the top six are cut off. And as I say at the moment, there are nine riders who have a genuine case to suggest that they might well... Be amongst them. Uh, Next round of the championship, as I say, 8th, 9th, 10th of September at Silverstone uh, in Northamptonshire. Uh, right then, let's head to Germany now and talk World Superbikes. And the uh, the uh, final ever international motorsports take place at the Larratives Ring. I can tell you're all disappointed about that. Uh, um, and- now, um... <laughs> It was another one of those where it looked like it was taking place in front of empty grandstands, and for the large part, it was. But it is, uh, it's is—it's kind of that Indianapolis syndrome, where because there are so <laughs> many seats around there, because it is an oval circuit uh, yeah. where they didn't infield inside it, it does always look emptier than it actually is uh, when it allows its ring. Um, but even so, it's only it's a circuit that many people are going to miss, except, Jay, perhaps, Chaz Davis.
1: Exactly, because it was a Chaz weekend. Chaz Davis wins, lol. Basically, <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, just just to, just on another level to everybody else this weekend. He was he was strong in the dry here last year in the one race we, in the one day race we had here, and he was able to. Um, continue that run of form, and yeah, he's, he's carried it on from last year. A, a a very comfortable double victory for Chaz Davis. Um, didn't again? He's not really entitled title contention. So I don't think Jonathan was going to chase him down too hard anyway. I think his target was always going to be um, beating Tom Sykes, which we will get into later on. But uh, yeah, Chaz, you know, made it look pretty comfortable out there. Good, good, good effort from him.
0: Yeah, it's almost. <laughs> It's it's almost infuriating in a way if you're if you're yeah. a, if you're a Ducati fan um, or a Chaz mm. Davies fan is this is the third I mean it, this is only two races and you know we don't know yet whether Chas Davies is going to go on the same tear that he did at the end of last season where he was winning everything in sight um, but in a way it's infuriating because it's the same story again Chas Davies and Ducati giving away so many points early on and then at the end of the season they're now unbeatable but they've left it way too late.
1: Yeah, I mean, even this weekend, Chaz Davis is still 105 points off Jonathan Ray. With only a handful of races left to go this season. They've left it too late. They've just left it too late again. And again, Chaz has had just one too many bad weekends, too many. And as a result, he's, he's taken himself out of title contention. He's, he's basically made it a two horse race between the between the kawasakis and it's a shame because again as as we've proven probably for the last two years prior on that on their day Ducati is unbeatable and Chaz davis is an, is an unstoppable combination um with him and the, the Panagale in the right circumstances but once again they've just not had enough weekends especially this year i would say the weekends where you'd expect Chaz to dominate he hasn't and as a result he's he's yeah, left right off open. Yeah. Yeah and, as, yeah, and as a result, he's, he's basically just given Jonathan Ray one too many gifts, so mm. to speak. And um, yeah, well, you know how that's turned out because he's now 100 points off the top with only, I think, six races to go this season and he's pretty much out of the run. And...
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. that Eight races to go, it could be six. I mean, there was an interesting sort of um, cameo that many might have missed and I nearly missed it where um, Greg Haynes mentioned in the commentary that there is talk that the Qatar round in the season might not happen. Um, based on what's happening over there in that country at the moment, I had that that story had passed me by. I have to say, um, but we'll we'll wait and see and see if that does transpire. Of course, if the, the final round of the season, in Qatar, doesn't happen, then yeah, practically give Jonathan the trophy now. Um, but it, oh, but, it, but it is a, yeah again it's because we, we had this conversation about Tom Sykes in previous rounds, and again it's it's how critical do you be um, given that you know Jonathan Ray has only been out of the top two twice this year, um, and <laughs> uh, 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 both of those were in races where he was taken off. Um, he was taken off by a crashed Chaz Davies, ironically, uh, in race one at Misano, where he still got back up, finished third. And of course, the race at Donington, race one, where um, the tyre came off the rim and pitched him <laughs> off at the bottom of uh, Crane of Curves going into old hairpin. So it's not like Chaz would necessarily be ahead of Johnny Ray anyway. It's not fair, is um, it? It's not fair. But um, I think whereas with Tom Sykes, he's coming up against a guy on the same bike who's just playing better than him. Um you you can and I I guess Dre look at Charles Davis and Chicati and pick areas where they have left points on the table a bit.
1: Yes, exactly. And um Aragon, prime example. Um that was that was around where the year before Charles had doubled up, only took twenty five points away that weekend when Jonathan Ray had forty five and uh, that's 20 points that's going to be hard to make up all, all year long. As we, said, as we mentioned, Jonathan Ray is godly in multiple bikes right now. Again, the fact he you, you said he's only finished outside of the top two on two occasions this entire season is ridiculous, and it's practically unbeatable. Um, there is no answer to that. But again, Chaz would have certainly kept, left himself with, with a, at least an outside chance of being in contention right now if he'd actually taken the points he could have taken in rounds... As we said, like like Aragon. Again, like he's only had the one double win before this weekend and that was in Imola. And other times where ducati has been really strong, Jonathan Ray's taken points he wasn't meant to take. Same with Jonathan Ray, probably at Donington as well, where he got where he got a win where he thought Tom Sykes would get any Easy victory mm. hasn't happened again. Chaz was 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 collected in those weekends as well. Didn't didn't you know take full advantage of the situation. Not been as strong in race two situations as mm. Jonathan Ray has either. Laguna Seca as well, R- most likely race two where Chaz just straight up admitted we wouldn't have beaten Jonathan even if we did have a better start in race two. So you can point to occasions like that where. You can look at the situation and say, yeah, Chaz wasn't as, as efficient as he could have been, which has pretty much been the story of Chaz Davis on Ducati the last two or three seasons.
0: Yeah, we've had nine rounds this season, and you can argue that Chaz Davis has only really put both races together in, in four of them. Uh, Philip Island at the start of the year where he had two seconds, uh, Imola where he had the two wins. Uh, he had a first and a third at Laguna, and I'm counting that as one of the four. Cause he was on the podium both races, and then he's doubled in Germany last time out. Um, because the other rounds of the season that we've had were... Buraram in Thailand, where, of course, he crashed in race two and had to start the restart from the red flag at the back. Aragon race one, he DNF'd when he crashed out of the leading battle with Johnny Ray. Race one at Assen, where, granted, his bike failed on him, so that wasn't really his fault. Um, And um, Donington Park, where he crashed in race one and was only eighth. Um, Mizano, of course, crashed race one, didn't score in either race because, of course, he was run over by Jonathan Ray and didn't start race two. Uh, and, and you could see where those 105 points have disappeared um, with Chaz Davis. You could explain that away and you can make a genuine case that he could have been a lot closer if circumstances are panned out differently. Whereas with, with Sykes, I suppose, he's just been playing outclassed um, by a guy on the same bike as him this year. Um, and it was a measure of how dominant Ducati and Chaz Davis were at Lausitzring Ring this past weekend that. Davies didn't even have to go the Jonathan Ray route at the start of race two. Davies was allowed to be a little bit more patient with it at the start of Mm -hmm. race two. Um, Jonathan Ray did his usual job of basically pulling guys' pants down in the first lap of the race, um, (laughs) which is incredible. The movie in particular put on Salvadori, um, a place where you are not supposed to overtake, um, was incredible. Um, And Chance Davies didn't really have to do that. He was able to take it a lot more patiently, just follow Jonathan Ray through, Um, and then overtaking around half distance and cruise to an easy victory with his teammate Malandri uh, up the front as well at the front of that race. Um, And Davies taking maximum points from it for the second time this year, a second double for Davies and for Ducati. And for Jonathan Ray, um, a rare weekend where we didn't see Jonathan Ray win at least one race. But again, for the, the, the point of the season and the point of the championship he's at, two seconds will do him just fine.
1: Doesn't have to win. Like he's he's he st- only only Chaz left the weekend with more points, and he's not in contention. The target was beat Tom Sykes. Mission accomplished. Eleven um, points on him. Indeed. And, and again, the, the actually Marco Melandri did him a favour in race two by beating Tom Sykes over the line. But as you said, like um, Jonathan Ray, he doesn't have to win probably any rounds at all now between then, He's now got a 70-point lead on Tom Sykes. And I mean, I think that's now one hand on the trophy for Jonathan, really, given that uh, the, the form he's been in, Sykes sadly just does not have an answer for him um, pretty much anywhere now. And it's, it's, it's a shame because, again, it's like, again, you can't really be critical of Sykes. 'Cause he's he's doing the best he can with what he's been given and he's got a, a, a monster on the other side of the garage. But yeah, Jonathan Ray didn't have to win this one. He didn't have to take any unnecessary risks, apart from race two maybe. Um, but as as you say, um just did what he needed to do was a professional job all the way through, 40 points, well-earned, again, well-managed championship situation, and yeah, just a, a very comfortable 40 points.
0: Yeah, it was, and um, yeah, we have to again mention it, although it's, it's not the first time we've mentioned this this year, but Jonathan Ray's first lap um, <laughs> of, of, of race two, um, where he goes from eighth to third, um, which is um, not as um, meteoric as his rise at other circuses year, like Donington, where he went from eighth or seventh to the lead. Um, on the first lap of the race um, Thailand was another one where he went slicing through at the start of the race he's done it a few times this season Jonathan Ray at the start of race too um, but the Lounzitz Ring is a kind of circuit and it reminds me a lot of places like Rockingham and in Indianapolis um, way back when where you know, it's, it's an oval with a very tight twisty sort of Mickey Mouse style track within it um, yes and it doesn't necessarily pr- promote the greatest of racing it doesn't necessarily promote great overtaking there are only really two great overtaking spots um, around the labs, its ring, which are um, turn one, as you're going around the uh, the oval and into turn one, and then turn 10 at the end of the back straight. Um, Jonathan Ray, though, Dre, somehow discovered two or three more around the circuit. He was incredible. Yeah, it's, it's
1: David Emmett made the point during Sunday night after the races, where he said, if anything, the reverse rules just, just highlighted even more ways to make Davies and Ray great by just highlighting how brilliant they are as, as passers. They are just so good at this now. Um, where they are just they are they are practically just unstoppable right now ar- around these around the around these uh, areas and it's it's just so impressive um, to, just just to see and yeah they are just so good and you know, Jonathan Ray just keeps finding these places where you know, where where mere mortals would not be able to pass and again, he's he's just done that so well and it, it, it's been another feather in the cap for Jonathan and that's what's made him so great this year is because well. Yeah, like he's so good at race two scenarios as well.
0: Yeah, he is. He's brilliant at it. And uh, again, unfortunately, um, on the flip side of that, it highlighted once again um, how Tom Sykes just isn't quite so good at these race two scenarios. Tom Sykes, again, Dre, weekend panned out as many Tom Sykes weekends in 2017 have done. Dominant pole position. Um, which I believe moves him now just one short of the all-time record held by Troy Corsa uh, in World Superbikes. So he's, he, there's a very good chance that before this season's out, Tom Sykes is going to be the greatest Super Pole rider in history uh, in World Superbikes. Um, but once the racing got underway, Jonathan Ray was just a shade better than him. Tom Sykes' led early part of race one was shuffled back to third by Davies and Ray and ran with them for a lot of the race. But just as that race headed into its closing stages, he was gradually sort of dropping away and ended up finishing third. And race two came around. Tom Sykes starts seventh and ended lap one still in seventh, and that really was the difference.
1: Yeah, like Sykes is just not—he's just not got the aggression in, term, in terms of passing that Davis and Ray have. And again, it's absolutely killed him this season, especially in race two. I mean, we saw him lose the Donington streak that way because Jonathan was super aggressive on the opening two laps to get where he needed to be and open up enough of a gap over Sykes—a four-second well, head start. Yeah, where Sykes, even Sykes at Dunnington just didn't have that much of a pace advantage to be able to reel him in in time. Tom just ran out of laps. And again, Sykes, it's a story of Sykes' season. Again, fantastic qualifying pace. Um good early pace, maybe especially in race ones where he can make a maybe lead from the front, but he just hasn't got the temp for two over Ray and Davies where he can comfortably win races like that where he's on he's under intense pressure and in those scenarios he's just not quite there. And it's 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 sad because it's what's opened up this seventy point lead over time. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been the story of Slack's this season, really.
0: Yeah, it has. He, uh, he didn't get himself up into fourth in the race by until half distance, amazingly. Mm. Um, that was, it, it took him until uh, half distance to finally get the better of the likes of Savadori, cameo and Alex Lowe's, um, who had started ahead of him, um, at the start of that race. Yeah. Just to confirm on that Super Bowl record, he's now up to 42 career poles, um, in World Superbikes. 43 of Troy Corsa is the outright record. Um, which he may well be able to equal um, next time out at Portimao. Um, and he's had four in a row, so who would put it past him um, from doing that there? Um, but yeah, he, um, he just didn't seem to have that confidence on the brakes to just send it up the inside of someone and, and expect it to stick, um, which, which clearly his teammate and Chaz Davies had. Um, and you know, by the time he got himself up into fourth, the front three were over 10 seconds up the road. Um, and, and that's the end of your race and, uh, and Sykes ended up finishing in fourth and didn't exactly have the greatest of pace in clear air anyway maybe he—I don't know, his spirit had just been sort of diminished because he had nothing to chase so he ended up just finishing where he was and he still had the likes of Cameo and Lowe's right behind him at the end of race two um, but yeah Tom Sykes now has 70 points to try and make up in eight races um, that remain in the season which um, by anybody's measure yeah. is a tall order especially when he's not really beaten his teammate in a straight fight all year um, so, championship looking near enough decided, Ray leads it by 70 from Sykes, who uh, may well find himself in a very similar and very uh, soul-destroying position to-, to last year, Dre, where he might well, with 35 points in his pocket, find Chas Davies breathing down his neck before long.
1: Yeah, Davis could very well reel him in. We again, we know Davis finishes the year very strongly. He did it last year, and you know, I think he had the he he, he loves Magni Core coming up later in the season. He's he's tended to go well at Qatar as well as as the season finale. Yeah, Thirty five. The, the, the
0: last three rounds yeah. of the season were all doubled by Chess Davis last year.
1: It could be a problem. um <laughs> Are we going to have Jonathan Ray basically roll over for him again? Yeah,
0: yeah went through in race two. Yeah.
1: That wouldn't be a nice look, would it? Um, I, know he's a, I know he's a good guy for that, Johnny, but uh, like, I don't think Tom's going to like that if that happens two years in a row, where he's had to he's had to pull over to, to basically keep keep Sykes position up there. But uh, yeah, it's not been pretty.
0: No, it's not been pretty. Um, fourth place then in the championship at the moment is Marco Melandri, and he's been a solid fourth out of the four at the front all year. Um, but solid weekend for Melandri in. The lousy to ring. Fourth in race one um, for a circuit that he hasn't been to before, unlike a lot of the guys who cross came here last year, and didn't. So he um, for amazingly, for a guy who's probably more experienced at motorcycle racing than anybody in that field, he actually um, had the most to learn on Friday uh, in Germany and with so little free practice time now in World Superbikes, given the former, he had a real uphill climb um, to get himself up to speed. He did that by race two and finished a competitive third um, right behind Jonathan Ray in the end. Uh, Andre justifying the news that broke in the lead up to the Lives weekend that Melandri has been retained by Aruba Gicati for the twenty eighteen yeah. season. A move I think that suits all parties.
1: Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a more than valid move. I mean Melandry has been an improvement on Davide Giuliano this year. It's kind of a, a, a limbo spot because he has definitely been better than Davide was last year. But at the same time it's probably not what Giucati was hoping for um in terms of you know being a bigger influence on you know trying to help Chaz davis win the championship trying to take more points off the Kawasaki's that's not really happened with marco this year for the most part but i don't see where Ducati is going to get anybody better anytime soon for that second spot so no. hey why not keep marco around and see maybe a second year around on the bike maybe we can tap into more of marco's potential because he's always had a a level of speed in Walter Blacks that he hasn't had in MotoGP for some time Um, and he's been very good at that so uh, yeah he's hoping that uh, you know again a second year or will Ducati will do Marco good but uh, for now I think certainly the right move I think from Ducati (laughs) yeah right
0: move for there Melandry, yeah as you say he's kind of in that no man's land where he's not quite as good as the front three but he's way better than everybody else Um, so we've seen a lot of races this season where melandry has been a rather lonely guy um, and I'm pretty sure i don't really need to look this up to know that i think malandry's had way more race two poles than anybody else um so far this season we see that a lot don't we with Melandry and a couple of yamahas or uh, MV on the front row uh, or fores or in for instance on race two pole because he's he's always the fourth guy in that first race behind the three brits who dominated this year um so Melandry's task for 2018 will be to close that gap um on davies ray and sykes to make it a genuine four-way title fight um in 2018 um there's also pressure to try and increase the uh, competitiveness at the front on Yamaha. And um, given that they've done a bit of testing over the uh, summer break, and given that uh, they, or well, two of their uh, race riders and world superbikes, enjoyed Suzuka 8-hour success um, since the last round of the championship, there were high hopes that Yamaha might actually be able to close the gap ever so slightly um, at the Lausitz Ring. Those hopes didn't really materialise, Dre. As good as Alex Lowe's was, Yamaha still a very, very solid gap behind the front two.
1: Indeed, I mean, uh, those in race one, 16 seconds off the win, and fifth in race two, but 15 seconds off the win. So again, it, it's it, said, it says Yamaha is still a, a, at least half a second off where they really need to be um, right now. So it's it, 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 they're just not quite there yet. Um, Yamaha still, it's a shame as we mentioned. It's amazing that they've had this tremendous success at the Suzuka race, our winning three years in a row, but yet their superbike itself in. In homologated race trim format is still nowhere near where Kawasaki and Ducati are, and it's been unfortunate for him. Um, but again, Alex Slow is just making the best of an unfortunate situation. And again, another solid weekend from him sixth and fifth, about as good as anybody could have asked for in the grand scheme of things. And, um, yeah, just, just got to make the most of what's on the table for him right now.
0: Yeah, which, to his credit, is what he hasn't necessarily been doing in previous years, Alex Lowe's. This is the, exactly the kind of scenario where the, you know the, he's just not got the pace of guys in front of him and he crashes it trying to make it fit. Um, and Alex Lowe's, again, showing that level of maturity that he hasn't shown in previous years because um, as good as both of the riders were in Suzuka, it was kind of a no contest in Germany. Lowe's way ahead of Michael Vandermark.
1: Yeah, that was a weird one. I mean, we we, we joked about this last week that Vandermark wasn't exactly a fan of this being the last weekend for the Loucher swing um, by by any by any stretch of the imagination. And again, it showed here really. Van der Mark a fifteenth place finish in race one, and again eleventh in race two. Van der Mark really really struggled around here. I mean, over a minute off the win in the end, and again, a massively over over two seconds a lap behind his teammate, which is alarmingly um out of pace for for michael Vandermark, so uh yeah a lot of question marks on that one but um yeah hopefully it's just a one-off of Vandermark because yeah just seemingly not a fan of that just ring at all
0: no um <laughs> and uh, if you follow his tweets since the weekend um you'll get even more uh proof of that he tweeted uh on saturday um after race one same story just another race hashtag being politically correct um, that was uh, that was the exact quote. And then there was a brilliant exchange with uh, himself and uh, Greg Haynes and Jonathan Ray, the reigning world champion. Greg Haynes tweeting: Soon we hand allows its ring over to the future. The plan is to build a ghost town where self-driving vehicles will be tested." Uh, Jonathan Ray's reply was: "Great plan." Um, <laughs> M- Michael Vandermark's reply to both of them was: "Self-driven vehicles testing their shocks on speed bumps. Um, basically <laughs> suggesting how bumpy he thinks the place is." Um, Jonathan Ray's reply: "Yeah, I hope they have good suspension." Um, David Emmett wait don't you guys mean we will miss this spectacular layout in its glorious setting um, Jonathan <clears throat> Ray's reply worst track ever great fans though the Germans let's go to Nürburgring <laughs> so um. <laughs> <laughs> so, no help back from Johnny. <laughs> no, so uh, and this is a circuit that nearly broke. Well, it did break his leg a few years ago. Um, Jonathan Ray, the, the Nurburgring. It's um, and we're not talking about the Nordschleife here, by the way. We're talking about the uh, the Nurburgring that Formula One has often raced on in recent years. That just doesn't have enough runoff, really, um, for Superbikes. bikes. Um, if they could change that, then I am all for go- seeing well super bikes going there. Because as as Jonathan Ray says, there is a definite uh, support for it over there. Um, but unfortunately. Um, the, just the circuit that they've chosen to go to ain't really much of a circuit for uh, for much of a spectacle, shall we say, for the TV viewers or for those that pay to go and see it. It's more of, as I say, a German Rockingham. That's why I often call it, yes. uh, unfortunately. Um, back to the weekend's action then, and we'll talk to you about the German who uh, was, uh, yeah, let's say his season that uh, had many, many lows and not many highs, had another low, unfortunately, at the weekend. Stefan Bradle, we'll talk about him shortly. But first a rider who did have a good weekend and Leon Camier who continues to do the Lord's work on the MB Augusta. A um, yes, couple of top sixes for him, Dre. And um, I remember Camier going very well at the Lousy Swing last year. Um, perhaps it's one guy again who does like the place. Yeah, exactly. Leon Camier again, another fantastic
1: result. We narrowly just missed out missed out on fourth place in race one. they half a second behind Melandri. And again race two. We pretty much ran with lows on the Yamaha team the whole way through this weekend and Kami seems to really like this player, so if he doesn't, if, if he doesn't, he's certainly very fast around it, that's for sure.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but, but when you combine that with, just, just, again, the MV, again, we all know their struggles in terms of budget and resources, but Camier are, again, doing an absolutely tremendous job, um, really competing, and again, again, not a million miles away from, from the top four. So, uh, Fantastic stuff from Camia yes again.
0: Mm, yeah, uh, a couple of top six finishes uh, for the Brit on the Amigo step. Fifth in race one, sixth in race two. Uh, and he was only beaten by Alex Lowe's on the final lap of race two. Um, otherwise, it would have been a brace of fifth places for Kamiya. Um Another rider who enjoyed a good weekend um, on the Aprilia, Lorenzo Savadori. His teammate Eugene Laverty had a pretty shocking weekend, all told. Um, qualified reasonably well, but then was punted off the track essentially at turn one dropped into to the back of the field and left him with a recovery ride on his hands. He eventually climbed up to 10th uh, and raised two unfortunately Eugene Laverty crashed out of it all together. Um, but Savidori Dre whose reputation was pretty high in the last season. He's had a, a bit of a mixed campaign with injuries uh, interrupting the start of his season. He has had the odd standout result front row at Assen and front row again at the Laverne's ring, followed by a couple of top seven finishes um, for Lorenzo Savadori, who is amazingly only one spot and 14 points behind his teammate, Eugene Laverty, in the championship, having missed a couple of rounds to injury earlier this season. So, quietly, even though he necessarily doesn't, you know, the season for neither Laverty or Savadori necessarily matches a prettiest expectations at the start of the year, Savadori's done a solid job on it absolutely i mean again the the 2016 rookie
1: of the year showing you know showing his metal really this wasn't a, a very solid result from savadori again like a pretty again been up and down pretty much all season long struggled to really crack into the top five and again that is about as good as a can realistically hope for right now to get guys in the top eight um regularly given that the, there are three bona fide better teams than them right now with with occasional guys like bmw and honda sticking their noses in like sometimes. But uh, yeah, again, a great result from Savadori this weekend. Um, again, about as good as they could have hoped for in the circumstances.
0: Mm, yeah, Um not really sure under the circumstances what Stefan Bradle and Honda would have been hoping for from the weekend. And uh, I mentioned Bradle <laughs> a moment ago. This was, of course, his home round of the championship, uh, the German round of the World Superbike Championship. Bradle's first home round in World Superbikes not so sure he'll have enjoyed his first visit to the Lousyest Ring as much as his many visits to the Saxon Ring for MotoGP races there Um, it started on Friday with an accident in, uh, in the second free practice session which was curtailed by rain and a long red flag stoppage because oil was dumped down. The oil that Bridal crashed on, um, which caused him to miss race one through injury. He then started race two, but perhaps might have wished he hadn't because he finished down in 13th. Um, the, the one cameo of that race, a, a rather hilarious um, sight of uh, Greg Haynes in front of the show, oh, yeah. throwing Honda rather under the bus as they finally overtook somebody on track on TV, um, which led to a rather sarcastic um, celebratory uh, commentary of it by Greg Haynes um, as Bradle overtook the Kawasaki of Randy Kriminaka. Um But for this team, Dre, and for Bradle, um, Davide Giuliano, who partnered him for the weekend, by the way, didn't score a point in either race, crashed out of or stopped in race one with the bike, um, not wanting to move anymore. And race two, he stayed on board, but didn't score points. Bradle only three points from the weekend. This is a team who, I, I, I repeat again, because we mentioned this in our midseason review, we expected this team to get stronger as the year gone on. And if anything, they're just regressing
1: it's, it's uh, this weekend was an unmitigated disaster for like did they found a way to sink to a new low the Red Bull Honda team it was it was very sad um seeing them struggle just this much and um whew. oh man um it, it's, it's it's something that David Emmett brought up the other day about how because the rules between World Superbikes Bikes and BSB are, are not uniform you get these variants of results like again the the, the, the Honda team in, in BSP has been very good for the most part in getting their fireblade up to speed and now competing for wins and it's a genuinely competitive package back to where they pretty much were last year on their decade old fireblade in the world situation with Tencarte um, running the team and uh, again different set of rule books and you know again possibility of the, possibility of that changing again next year anyway. Um, as it stands right now, I mean, they're, they're sinking backwards. They're, they're, they're sinking as general. I mean, Bradles has is, is, is is had an uphill battle all season long. David Agiliano was uncompetitive on the bag of it was his first weekend on it. But even so, just, just way, way off where Honda need or want to be. And it's... Uh, it's been very sad because, again, like we, we, I was excited to have Honda be you a know, backing player, an exciting team with Hayden and Bradle and you know, a former world champion in Bradle. Again, two former world champions in, in Bradle and and uh, and Hayden going forward, and for various reasons, it, it's just been a disaster this this year. And I hope I hope they can find a way to rebuild in twenty eighteen because it, it's it's been it's been a dreadful time for, for Honda and. Uh, um, the only way to look us up, I guess, right now because they, this this is probably rock bottom for him as, as, yeah, as the way. it is. It
0: is. Yeah. I mean, as as Jay mentioned, there have been a lot of circumstances that have played against that team, and not all of them have been in their control. Obviously, with the, the tragic circumstances that, that took Nicky Hayden from them and uh, from all of us. Um, but yeah, it's a team that um just seems to have no real direction at the moment. And and for Bradle, it we I don't I not I wasn't sure what to expect from him in World Superbikes, given that he's. You know, he's I mean, as you say. He's a world champion in Moto Two. He was not always. You know, he had his moments in Moto Two, even if he wasn't always a top tier guy. He had a pole position. He had a podium in that in that class. So he's clearly got the quality uh, to compete at world level. But is it just me? Even with the the state of the state that that bike is at, am I wrong for expecting a little bit more from Bradle?
1: No, I don't think so. I don't think that's unreasonable to suggest. I think that's uh, you know, I think that he is. You know, he's an excellent rider, and he—he he, I've always thought he was unlucky to have been dealt the circumstances he had when he was booted out of the LCR Honda team for Cal Crutchley. Who I still maintain is—is is, has not has barely been an improvement on what Bradle was when he was when he was booted out outside, outside of the handful of wins that Crutch has had for him um, it's, it's been a shame but Bradle's career has just seemingly taken a turn for the worst reminds me a lot of Daniel Kvyat for example where he was in a good team and his team suddenly gave up on him it reminds me a lot of that situation in Formula 1 and Bradle again has always been a good rider and um, again I don't know whether, whether the adjustment to Worlds has, has negatively affected him I don't I don't know to be honest with you but yeah, I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest he could have been a bit better um, given given his ability, given his talent, given what, you know, what, what what's made him get to this point, um, so yeah, I don't think it's unfair to suggest that Braille could be doing a little bit better. But the way Honda's been this year, how how much can you really blame him for it? At the same time, it's been all sorts of crazy. <laughs> yeah, it
0: has, and uh, it's it's the margin as well that this team is finishing uh, off the race win as well um that, that is rather i mean david giuliano in race two uh, i mean i don't know what problems he had in race two but he was over a minute behind the winner um in a half hour race essentially over yeah over not many over I mean, that was what 21 that race um yeah and, and yeah and Davide giuliano was over a minute behind uh by the end of it which is he's just not good enough whatever whatever problems that that team and whatever lack of experience on that bike that rider has Juliano uh, was beaten across the line by Andre Jezek for goodness sake on the grillini Kawasaki yeah. um, and Stefan Bradl was 36 seconds um, off the race winner over 21 laps of the Lausitz ring um, and uh, he only just beat the likes of Roman Ramos and Raffaele De Rosa um, who really a team of that stature and a rider with Moto2 world titles to his name should be beating those guys quite comfortably uh, I'm afraid. Um, it's been a disastrous season for that team. Um, championship standings then, as it stands at the moment then. Jonathan Ray leads it by 70 from Tom Sykes. 70-point lead with eight races to go. Chess Davies is a further 35 back in third. Marco Melandri all on his own in fourth on 218 points. 163 off the leader. Um, yeah, 49 clear of Alex Lowe's in fifth. Lowe's leads Forres in sixth by 23 points. Then comes Vandermark in seventh. Uh, Vandermark has dropped further back from Forrest now in 7th place. Leon Camier is 8th. Um, he's on 120, 11 ahead of Jordi Torres, who had a couple of top 10 results. Ninth in race 1 and 8th in race 2 for him. Uh, Eugene Larrity has dropped to 10th in the championship after only scoring 6 points across the weekend from his two rides. He's just ahead of Savadori now who's 11th. Stefan Bridal is 14th in the championship for the Honda team. He only has 67 points um, from his season so far. Um, which is an unmitigated disaster. And Honda are bottom as well of the Manufacturers Championship right now um, behind, the well, behind everybody, behind the likes of MB Augusta and BMW who don't really have factory teams anymore uh, in the World Superbike Championship, which really says it all at the moment. All uh, right, World Super Sport up next and uh, the uh, the batshit craziness continued at the its Ring last weekend with a brand new winner uh, in the form of Sheridan Marias of South Africa who took pole position and his first victory. Um, Marias who came agonizingly close to his first win earlier in the season at Aragon when Mahias beat him in a photo finish. Um, but this doesn't go anywhere near telling the story of what panned out in the closing stages of this race. To set the scene for you all, we had a four-man leading group at the front, including Marias, the eventual winner. Um, the uh, Yamahas of Federico Caracasulo and Lucas Marais, the championship leader and the reigning champion, Keenan Sofoglu. Um, With three laps to go, Karakasulo and Sofoglu have passed Marias for the lead uh, and are battling themselves up the front. Sofoglu then passes Karakasulo into turn two, pushing Karakasulo wide. No fault, certainly from my uh, point of view, on Sofoglu for this, but Karakasulo pushed onto the dirt part of the track, which causes him to fall off and then wipe out, as he comes back across the track, his own teammate, Lucas Mahayas, the championship leader. Um, so, sofoglu looks set for a comfortable victory from Marias, but with Karakasula out injured on the outside of the racetrack and not moving, um, race direction are forced to bring a red flag out, which leaves us with a result calculated from a lap previous to that. This then gives Sheridan Marias the victory from Sofoglu and Mahayas, who managed to remount and get his bike back to the pits. Um, now... It was an incredible finish, rate uh, to this World Supersport race. Um, congratulations, first of all, to Sheridan Marias, his first victory yes. in the class. And he's, he's actually a championship contender now, amazingly, um, the way this season has panned out. Um, but, yeah, both Keenan Safoglu and Lucas Mahias can count themselves a little bit unlucky, um, the way this has panned out, because um, Safoglu, first of all, can turn around and say, well, if that race hadn't got red flagged, I was probably going to win this race, and Mahias was going to score nothing. Um, but equally, Majaes could turn around and say, well, he was taken out through no fault of his own by his teammate who just crashed. He kind of deserves some points to take from it. It's an, it was an amazing conclusion and amazingly, we have Lucas Majaes still clinging on to the championship lead by his fingernails. One point between Majaes
1: and Keenan going into the last four races of the season and, yeah, like, like, like Lucas will not give this up easily. God bless him. The, uh, like, the, Uh, The Amahar desperate, hang hanging on there. But uh, again, congrats to Mirage. It's worth pointing out as well that he's doing this on last year's Yamaha R6, and yet.
0: Oh, yeah, that's the interesting one, because this was the first round of the season where they'd finally been given the 2017 Ah, Um, bike. And he and Tuli, when he and Tuli were first and third on the grid, Um, Nicky Tuli, his teammate, who had that podium at the the, 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 the time. But you're right, uh, to this point they've been using the old bike. And, you know, he's, he's in the championship shaker now. He's only 20 points off the lead. But as you say, he has done the majority of that work on a year-old motorcycle.
1: Indeed, and he's still got an outside chance at the title because he's been so consistent all, all, the, year, all, all the year on. He's deserved the win. Um, I think I remember at Aragon, he, he was very close to getting that first win as well. Um, and he was right up there and has been pretty much all season long. So I'm very glad he's finally got his first win to call his own and a well-earned first win as well, given how close... That that leading scrap horse coming towards the end of the race, but um, yeah, tremendous job from Marias and uh, a great job from the, uh, from, from, the, from the from the from the satellite team as well. But oh uh, my gosh, Mahias, uh doing literally just enough to keep himself yes. ahead. Um, it's, it's going to be fun to see how this one goes. Like oh, Mariah's needs to beat Keenan somewhere, otherwise. We might as well park it up and go home from now, but he's he's doing just enough to keep this interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great as you say, great great job for the Callio racing team that I've been running these these year-old uh, Yamaha R6s um, in the Super Sport Championship. And yet, yeah, they finally got the 2017 bike for the first time uh, at the Saxon Ring and qualified first and third with them. Um, Marias and Nicky Thule, uh, Thule the Finn, who uh, qualified, who finished the race in fifth in the end, um, which were his first points since that podium in Thailand um, back in March, um, which tells you how what kind of a mid-season lull Thule's had. He had five races without scoring a point. Um, but for, but for Marais, yeah, he is the only guy in the class um, which tells you how crazy it's been because uh, we've only had 8 races but Marais is the only guy in the entire field to have scored points in all of them uh, which is yeah. incredible um, which has enabled him to keep himself in the uh, in the conversation for the world championship with 4 races uh, still to go um, and yeah Marais, it's we discussed this before didn't we about the championship and almost how would we feel if Marais went on and won this having just followed Sofoglu home all year um because he obviously it would, would have won a championship without really ever beating him. Um and basically winning it by default of having started two races more than Keenan um earlier in the season. Um but in a way this is good, isn't it? This gives us a good a, a good starting point. Also almost like a reset now for this championship with four races to go, one point difference. If Safoglu wins this from here, he is Without question, the greatest guy in World spot history to win a championship despite giving up three rounds at the start of the season. And equally now, if Mahias is going to win this championship, he now has to beat Keenan.
1: Yeah, it's as simple as that. I mean, barring a Keenan mistake if he falls off the bike again at some point or if he's collected by uh, by another rider, then well we're going to have a different conversation about this entirely, mm. which is a shame, because it's, it's not Lucas's no. fault. Yeah, because yeah.
0: I'd love to see Mahias win this, but I want to see him win it and have and deservedly win it by beating Keenan on track. I mean, hey, if Keenan crashes out, that's Keenan's fault, and Mahias wins the championship outright. Of but, course. But you almost want to see Mahias beat him in a straight fight just to validate himself if he needs to.
1: Yeah, because if it, if it doesn't, it's going to be a very awkward sort of situation. there will but...
0: always be a yeah, but at the end of this season. Yeah,
1: exactly. And... Again, as you say, I would I would like to see I would like to see him come out come out with that one and, and find a way to make it work. But um, the way it's going right now, he's got to be Keenan somewhere, and the odds of that happening right now are looking slim because Keenan has looked so good since coming back from the injury. And yeah, it's, it's going to be a difficult scenario, I and mean, could, we could be having a lot of um, deeper conversations about the asterisk on this if Mahias wins this by following Keenan home, um, and. That, that wouldn't be ideal at all, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We still have four races, I mentioned, to go um, in this World Supersport campaign, which includes, let's not forget, Mahias' home round at Magny cours uh, at the beginning of October, um, a circuit where he has done well in the past as a wild card, um, including in World Superbikes, of course, Lucas the Vias. So, um, yeah, he may well be very, very competitive there, and he may be hanging his hat on that round um, to get some big points on the board. Portimao, Magny Cor, Jerez and La still to go. Um, in this world super sport season here's how the race finished in the Lousy String then Sheridan Marias declared the winner when the race was recounted back to lap 16 um, after the red flag Marias the winner from Safuoglu and Marais that was your podium Jules Cluzel in fourth uh, on the CIA landlord insurance Honda and he was very critical of Safuoglu's overtake on Caracasulo late on um, as they queued up in part Ferme after the red flag and um, don't think really Cluzel had much of a case there. I think he just wanted to be promoted onto the podium, if nothing else. So I don't think Sifon yeah, exactly. did an awful lot wrong, if I'm being honest. And even uh, Cluzel's team boss didn't really feel that uh, Sifon had a much of a case to answer. Um, so he was fourth. Nikki to the fifth. As I mentioned, those were his first points since the beginning of March. Uh, Lorenzo Zanetti, who um, we uh, kind of have to begrudgingly admit was uh, a more than able, able replacement for the uh, vanquished Robbie Rolfo uh, at the Team Factory Vamax squad. He finished sixth on that MV. Uh, Kyle Smith in seventh. Uh, Ant-West eighth uh, as his skint world tour continues. Um, the, the, Aus- <laughs> the Austrian wildcard, Gradinger in ninth. And Luke Stapleford on the profile triumph in tenth position, uh, completing the top ten. rest of the points were rounded out by Christoph Bergman. Uh, who's back in the series for CIA Download Insurance Honda, having been brought in in place of Robin Molhauser, uh, Christian Gamarino, 12th, Hannes Soma, who won the European Supersport class in 13th, ahead of Alessandro Zacconi, and Michael Canducci completed the points in 15th, just beating Kyle Ride to the final point. Championship standings then. Mahias leads by one solitary point now from Kieden Sofoglu. Uh, 121 plays 120, uh, heading into Portimao. Sheridan Marias third, a further 20 points behind Sofoglu, so he is not out of it at all. Jules Closel is not necessarily out of it either, but he is 33 off the championship lead in fourth. He's going to have to win a couple of races to have any chance. Uh, PJ Jacobson, who had a tough weekend, had to go through Q1 and then didn't finish the race, finished fifth. Oh, he's fifth, should I say, in the championship on a 68 points. Caracasulo, who, of course, ended the uh, race with in Hospital. He's sixth on 51. And we're seventh, 46. Carl Smith, eighth on 44. Robbie Rolfo is still ninth in the championship on 43. Level with Kyle Ryde. Um, with Nikki Tooley now up to 11th after returning to point scoring ways. Uh, that allows its rig. Uh, Supersport 300, then, just before we move on. Um, and another great race to showcase this brand new class with a three way photo finish across the line. Um, between Alfonso Coppola, Mark Garcia, and Mika Perez. Coppola, who had started the race on pole position, uh, taking the race victory by 18 thousandths of a second from Ooh. Mark Garcia on the Hal Courier Racing Yamaha, uh, with Mika Perez on the Wool Sport Race Days Honda in third, 76 thousandths of the win. Um, that was the uh, three way fight across the line. Robert Schottmann, the uh, Dutch rider for the GRT Yamaha team, in fourth, ahead of Danny Valle and Borca Sanchez, the two Hal Courier racing Yamahas, or two of the three that were all in the top six. Um, Mikita Callan in the Ukrainian in seventh, ahead of Tim Georgi. Remember him from the Moto3 race at the Saxon Ring? Um, he, hell. Uh, he turned his attention to wildcarding in Supersport 300 this time and finished in eighth position uh, for the Freudenberg team, ahead of his uh, teammate for the weekend, Max Kapler, and Doran Larrero, the South African, for the DS Junior team in tenth position. Uh, Scott DeRue, um, who of course led this championship earlier on in the season, was disqualified after the race, having crossed the line in fifth, which has had serious implications for this world championship. DeRue has dropped a long way down now. The championship is led um, by the Italian, uh, sorry, by the Spaniard, Perez. Um, who uh, took that third place. He leads by three points from his fellow Spaniard, Garcia, with Coppola in third. Um, Only six points covers the top three with three races to go in the Supersport 300 class. Scott DeRue, who has led it for most of the season, uh, has dropped to fourth now. He trails the championship leader by 13 points. It looks a four-way fight now for the championship with Borja Sanchez 30 points off the lead in fifth. Um, Top four, though, as I mentioned, covered by 13 points with three races of this class to go because they do not go to Qatar uh, for the final yes. weekend of the season. So just three races to go in the inaugural Super Sport 300 class. Uh, and finally, the Super, sport, uh, super Stock 1000 class, the uh, Span uh, the Italian Michael Rubin Rinaldi for the Aruba Ducati team, leading a 1-2 um, for that team this weekend ahead of Mike Jones, who made his name for that brilliant result. Uh, as a MotoGP wildcard at the back end of last season, um, a Rubiccati 1 and 2 for Ronaldi and Jones. Um, that's Jones's best result in stock 1,000. Um, a 3 4 for the Pata Yamaha team of Roberto Tamarini and Florian Marino. Federico Sandy 5th for the Barclays BMW team and Jeremy Guanoni 6th for the Pediccini Kawasaki team. Top rack Razgati Og, who of course is a championship contender and won at Donington last time out. Uh, He failed to finish. He crashed two laps from the end and has seen a lot of damage done to his championship campaign as a result. Ronaldi now leads Rascatioglu by 26 points with three races to go. Uh, right, a little bit of news to bring you before we go. And just to explain why this is such a curtailed news section, we are recording this show literally two and a half days after the last one. Um, so not a lot yeah. has happened in the uh, in the world of motorcycle racing outside of the racing Ficulous. itself um, in the last three weekends. Yeah, forgive us for this. Um, but there is still some news to bring you from MotoGP with uh, two riders securing their spots on the 2018 grid, uh, one of which is already there. We'll come on to him in a moment. First, the rookie for next season, Takaki Nakagami, who, um, this one's been rumoured for a while, as Ray, that he would be joining Cal Crutchlow at the LCR Honda team. That move has now been made official, um, and it's a funny one, isn't it, because we were speaking about this off-air before we started. If this had been announced after he won at ASEN last year, we would all be raving about this, thinking about what a great piece of business this is, and how Takaki Nakagami really has earned himself a MotoGP spot. But he's kind of plateaued since then, hasn't he? So, um... As, as interested as we are to see Nakagami on a motor GPC, um, his stock perhaps isn't as high as it was a year ago. No, he looked like like
1: last year, like the year where Taka finally put it all together over an entire season. And this year, he's kind of slipped a little bit further back into the midfield. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I think it's been a bit of a shame um, because, again, his stock isn't high as, as, it, as it was before. And um, Taka struggled a little bit this season. I think guys like Miguel Oliveira and Alex Marquez has taken big steps forward. And I think that's what's hurt guys like Taka um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but um, it's, it's not a bad heart. I mean, I mean, Dawna has always wanted another Japanese yeah. rider back in the class. Again, they've not had one in, in since Hiroshi Ayama um in recent times but yeah I, uh, i'm not sure i i think i'm not sure Tacker's on that level i'm really not and that's a big, big bike to walk into. He's going straight into the LCR team alongside Cal Crutchlow, and um, that is a, then Crutchlow is going to be on a factory Honda contract next season. So it, it's, it says a lot that um, you know the are you know are willing to push hard to get a Japanese rider in the top class, and that is great to see um, because we've talked on this show in the past about Japan seemingly struggling as a bike racing nation, producing talent compared to what it was five to ten years ago. But I'm not sure Taka's the guy you want to spearhead that campaign. Unfortunately, though, he is the best of the bunch right now.
0: Yeah, he is. The, the, it's difficult to pinpoint... I mean, the, there are a couple in, in Moto3 at the moment, the likes of Ayumu Sasaki and, uh, and Tatsuki Suzuki as well, who've been doing solid jobs in Moto3. But as good as they've been this year, they don't necessarily scream GP rider in waiting just yet. It's still very early in their careers, and that doesn't mean that they won't be in the future, but it's still early for them. So at the very least if those two riders are going to make it to GP at any stage, we're talking three, four years minimum yet um, before they're anywhere near MotoGP um, because they haven't even contended for a Moto3 title yet, let alone gone through right. the Moto2 process either. Um, so, yeah, Nakagami, if, if MotoGP are going to insist on having a Japanese rider in the class, then Nakagami's spot might well be quite safe for the next couple of years. Um, but in terms of how competitive he's going to be, part of me sort of worries that he's in almost Sam Lowe's position, isn't he? Of he's going to be in a team of two, with far inferior equipment to the guy on the other side of his garage, which may need, lead to some perhaps rather harsh and unfavorable comparisons between Crutchlow and Nakagami next year uh, in that team. Although I think he probably is within a better team that is going to treat him a lot better than, uh, than Aprilia and Grassini have treated Sam Lowe's. But I think perhaps next year, Dre, we're going to have to be a little bit careful about how we judge Nakagami versus the guy on the other side of the garage because there are going to be, they- what, four Hondas on the grid next year? They're going to be yeah. Marquez, Pedroza, Crutchlow, and Nakagami. Yeah, oh, you got Mark VDS
1: in there as well. Yeah, well yeah. Um, with, with Morbidelli and it it with Morbidelli.
0: Pops. Yeah, with Morbidelli, and we don't know who the other one. That so Nakagami. We're going to. He's not going to compare all that favourably with the other Hondas on the grid, is he? Apart no. from perhaps Morbidelli, and and that perhaps will be the interesting comparison next season. The two rookies on Hondas um, to yeah. see who the better of the two is. And at the moment, you'd say Morbidelli would be the favoured one. Uh, in that battle. It's been a good piece of... It's been a good weekend, actually, i all told, for Japanese motorsports. Of course, we had the news across the weekend as well that Metegi has secured its spot on the calendar for a further five years. Mategi will stay on the calendar until 2023 uh, at, the, at the earliest. So if Nakagami is still on the grid, he'll have five more Home Grand Prix to look forward to uh, in the yep, future. Yep, yep. Um, but other MotoGP news, as far as next year is concerned, one of the who has confirmed his spot on the grid, and it's Carol Abraham. And this move will have been met with a much more warm reception than the news of him entering the 2017 grid um, last year because Carol Abraham who was um, being sort of dismissed as a bit of a pay rider and a guy who had his chance in MotoGP and didn't really take it um, took his second chance Dre I think it's fair to say and um, I don't think anyone can really argue that Abraham doesn't deserve this uh, one year extension
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, we have we've been we've been rather unkind to Carole Ram in the past for many a reason. You know, given he is well sponsored. I mean, why are we criticising people for being well sponsored again? That's part of the game. But um, again, it is what it is. We we are we in motorsport are fans of a sport of purity and talent and meritocracy. <laughs> and all that fun stuff, and don't want to apply our business minds to anything at all, as if that's a factor. But, hey, it is what it is. But, hey, Carroll has been legitimately very good this season. He's been on a GP15, but yet has had multiple top 10 finishes. And for the first time in a long time, it feels like Abraham has earned his place on merits rather than people getting cynical and talking about the amount of money he brings to Asmar as a team. So, overall, I'm I'm very, very happy um, for... Uh, for, for Karen Abraham, he, he's he's a really class guy. He's a, he's a he's a great interview. He's a very very nice guy, and um, also I'm very glad that he's really really gone out of his way to work hard to justify his own spot, and he's and he's doing that now. So you yeah, good for him.
0: Yeah, unchanged lineup it'll be for uh, for the Aspaz teams, Of course, they confirmed Alvaro Bautista uh, earlier in the season. Um, no confirmation in the press release from Aspar which bike he'll be on next year, because um, he's been on a GP fifteen this year. He's been on a two-year-old Ducati. Um, it's I would imagine if if Ducati of Aspar are going to run the same plan as this year of one mm-hmm. year-old bike and one two-year-old bike. Unfortunately, that will leave Abraham on the GP sixteen for next year. Um, given that Bautista, I think, has pretty much earned the newer bike for next year. Yeah. Um, but we Spiels. shall see, because uh, Ducatis are. Uh, becoming the uh, go-to bike in this class, the uh, the versatile machine, as we discussed last week, that a lot of teams would like to get their hands on. So, uh, yeah, Carol Abraham might well be in a very good position, with Ducati seemingly getting better and better year-on-year. Year. Um, year-old and two-year-old Ducatis are suddenly much more attractive propositions in MotoGP, perhaps than they were a year or two back. So, uh, good luck to Carol Abraham next year um, in MotoGP. Um, more uh, immediately, though, this weekend sees the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Um, and We've been waiting all year, Dre, um, for the battle head-to-head on track between Matt Marquez and Maverick Vinales. For one reason or another, we haven't had it yet. Um, there's no guarantee we're going to get it this weekend, but perhaps is this a weekend where the chances are higher than any other, given that in history, most recently last year with Vinales and the Suzuki, both riders in question go very, very well here. They do. Um, on paper, this should be the best chance we've had of
1: of Vinales and Marquez being together. Like this has been one of those tracks that I think count as great equalizers. Um, it's it's a track where you know you both guys that are involved. Um, have, have gone well in the past. Obviously, Vinales winning last year. Marquez was 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 on for a podium last year until he made his he made, he made a mistake in the intense fight with Valentino. But again, both are former race winners here at Silverstone, and and this is a track where multiple manufacturers can succeed. It's a good equalizer and it's easy to follow around. So, on paper, this is your best chance yet for Vinales and Marquez going head to head. Something we, we we've struggled with last year, but that Honda's in really good form right now. So we've got to keep a half an eye on that one as well. So whew, we'll have to wait We we'll to wait and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is going to be interesting because the weather is always a question around Silverstone. Uh, the forecast I'm looking at currently has rain possible for Sunday. Uh, and I'm not just checking that to, to determine whether I need to take a coat or not. Um, but yeah, that's that's the forecast of the moment for the weekend. And Yamaha at the moment, Dre, in, in the past with Valentino's notorious record in wet conditions, they'd almost... Kind of prefer it if it was wet, but the way Yamaha struggle in low grip and colder conditions, Yamaha, you've got to feel, are going to be desperate for sunny weather and uh, and high temperatures this weekend because their bike is so peaky at the moment, (laughs) they need the right conditions for it. Indeed, they, they're going to they're gonna want
1: dry conditions, optimal conditions and plenty of grip. Um, if, 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 if it rains at any point during the weekend and it washes the rubber off, then you're in trouble because that's going to be a low grip scenario. And as we've seen, Yamaha has certainly struggled in, in, in that department um, over the last season or two, uh, especially this year, to say the least. But yeah. Uh, we we'll have, will have to wait and see how, how how that goes over the next over the next weekend or so but uh, yeah like they're going to want optimal conditions right now and the way it's been going uh, that's been up and down right now so to say the least so again we just just, just got to wait and see But uh, you're right, Yamaha are going to be wanting to be aiming for a very specific window on that one. And there's a good chance they miss it. And if they do, then they could be struggling out there.
0: Yeah, what what do we expect of of Ducati this weekend? Because, I mean, Silverstone is a circuit that does have a good two or three long straights in it. Um, I mean, we have the, the, the pitch straight, which, of course, is not the same pitch straight Formula 1 uses, for those that are wondering. They, uh, MotoGP aren't quite as big fans of the wing uh, as Formula 1 are. Um, but we have that straight as well, where the Formula 1 pits are. We have the straight down to Brooklands towards the end of the MotoGP lap. And we also have the hangar straight, the straight which, infamously saw a guy in a kilt run down the Formula 1 uh, Grand Prix in, 20, in 2003. Um, so there are yes. a lot of places where the Ducati can stretch its legs. Um, but equally, there are equally there are a lot of places where the Yamaha can stretch its legs and use its corner speed. We did see <laughs> Andre Boni this time last year run very very well in second place on that Ducati, um, yes. which gives us enough hope that Andrea Vizioso can't be necessarily ruled out at this one. I wouldn't say
1: so. I think, I think again, a Suzuki won here last year. No matter which way you slice it, it's good around here. And if it's cold, then Suzuki do tend to come alive a little bit more. And he, you know, and he has had moments where he can run with the with the, with the highest guys in there. So there's there's a lot on the table that could be good for Suzuki going into this one. So definitely one that's worth keeping an eye on um, as as a dark horse threat. So again, we will have to wait and see. But uh, if it, if it, if it stays true to British conditions, mm. um, if Silverstone St. stays wet and, it, and and it stays cold, then Suzuki could be well and truly in the mix.
0: Yeah, and uh, as I say, Andrea Dovizioso, I think he he will certainly uh, enjoy those conditions as well. Because as, as we mentioned before, that Ducati just seems the bike that is easiest to dial in um, mm-hmm. in, in difficult conditions. So if we get those, and so William Dovizioso, of course, had a podium at Silverstone in the wet a few years ago, the race that Rossi narrowly held Petrucci off to win um so so many variables going into this weekend's British Grand Prix uh, in MotoGP as the four slash five way championship fight continues um how many contenders will still be in the mix when we leave Silverstone um at the end of this weekend um as so far as Moto2 is concerned this was a Grand Prix won by Thomas Lüti last season the race made famous by Joan Zarco and Sam Lowes' collision um Luce- kind of in a position Dre, where he needs another Silverstone victory he needs to go back to back here doesn't he given that that lead is just getting into dangerous territory it's um, hovering around that one race worth of points at the moment for Morbidelli and Lutie can't really let that grow too much longer given that at the end of Silverstone we're only going to have six races to go Indeed. Yeah. Lucy can't Lucy can't let this one get
1: away um, and he needs to start winning races. He really does. Like, I mean, the podiums are nice and all, but if, but if you're competing against a guy that's won seven out of 11, you can afford to have the odd bad day. You can't mm. uh, basically. And like, like you, you can finish second and third all the time as well, as long as you don't crash, which is what we saw. Like all of a sudden we've half thought the title was over when Lucy crashed out in Germany and then more, but then he would go on to win that race. Um, so yeah, like Luti's putting himself in a situation where he's not got a lot of breathing room, and the problem is, is that not only is Morbidelli competitive up there, Alex Marquez and Miguel Oliveira are, are looking more threatening by the by the weekend as well. So he needs to be careful how how how, how this plays out right now. Luti needs to start winning some Grand Prix, and yeah, like now will be a pretty good time.
0: Yeah, it would, and as far as Moto three is concerned. Um... <laughs> It's more a case of, will we get any nearer to uh, the coronation of Joan Mir this weekend, who um, looks absolutely phenomenal. I mean, um, John McPhee, um, speaking last week, referred to the fact that this is not going to be a circuit necessarily where you get the unusual names, the likes of Jean Massia, um, Olivier Alloy up the front, given that it's, it's not a circuit where you can, as John McPhee put it, just break late, get yourself in a group and then get towed down the next straight. Um, no, as you were at Austria. Um so expecting a much more traditional Moto three group sprint this weekend, um, at Silverstone, weather permitting of course. Um but it's still hard to look past John Mir, isn't it?
1: Probably. Um he's he's just that good right now. There's there's no there's no way of looking around it right now. It's just that the, the, he's just so good right now. He's won seven out of eleven for a reason. He's not quite as in. He's a bit more vulnerable in these sorts of scenarios. But uh, yeah, like he, he, his mouse is so good that he'll find the way to be up the front most likely. He, he's not finished outside of the top ten I think at all this season. So yeah, Mir is just so good right now, and even he, he, can, he can afford to have a bad day right now given how much of a, how much of an advantage he has. But this is Joe Mir. He doesn't do bad days. So um, the way it's going right now, he is the man to be, and he's, he'll, he'll be nailed on favourite to win this one, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, well, the Moto3 races in previous years at Silverstone have always tended to go to the line, tended to go to photo finishes, with that one exception of the monsoonical conditions that Danny Kemp won in uh, two years ago. Uh, other than that, Silverstone, is, it is one of those circuits where Moto3 bikes can follow pretty well. Um, will we get the home winner of course for Jonathan will we have the British talent team win the British Grand Prix um, this weekend mm-hmm. we shall see, whatever does happen we will review it all uh, next week here on Bike Live for episode 28 as we review uh, the British Grand Prix at Silverstone um, as well as the live episode 101 of Motorsport 101 but first once again Dre we have episode 100 to get through first and uh, one last time the Centennial Cup still to come this week <laughs>
1: Centennial Cup, the second Motorsport 101 fantasy draft is coming up this weekend. Can't wait for it! I'm about to post the rules up on our Twitter account at Motorsport 101 as we speak, so check those out if you haven't already. You can get up to speed. On what's happening i may even put a blog up and later in the week talking about the logic behind some of my picks so keep half an eye on that as well in in, in the um, in the upcoming days but uh, a lot to look forward to the second fantasy draft it's an auction draft me ryan king matt carnero for mystery science theater f1 zoe hamilton from the grid girls and the return of rj o'connell all five of us will be on that show we're recording it tomorrow it will be live probably by the weekend so stick around for more details on that but yeah can't wait for the centennial cup
0: the centennial <laughs> cup and for those of you who are uh, nostalgia fans um this uh, centennial cup will also include some of your favorite moments from the previous 99 episodes of yes, motorsport 101 so keep an eye out and an ear out for that um, Motorsport 101, episode 100, to come later this week. Uh, places you can find us between now and then for all the news on episodes 100 and 101 Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. On Twitter, it's at Motorsport underscore 101. Our YouTube channel.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Our website is Motorsport101.net. And if you want to back us financially on Patreon and hear the Centennial Cup before everybody else, uh, it's patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Um, but from Bike Life, from myself Louis Sudebit and Fernando Harrison it's thank you for listening and we will talk to you again next week for episode 28 as we look back on the British GP until then it's bye bye <music>